This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew Abacadabra. Hocus Pocus. Alakazam. Razamataz. My favorite. All of these are my favorite psychic type Pokemon. Well, is there a Pokemon <laughs> named Razamataz? No, something but like it? Sh- I feel like there should be. Should be. Come on. There should be. I think there's, pro- there's probably a fan game where like Alakazam evolves into <laughs> Razamataz. Who's a like, Pokemon that you really like? A really muscly Pokemon who you want to make out with or something? I feel like he's got sequin pants on. Razmataz. Yeah, Razmataz. Speaking of Pokemon, uh, the characters in this week's book, Carry On by Rainbow Rowell, know about Pokemon. It's a Rowell or Rowell? I watched a YouTube video. It's Rowell. Rowell. All right. Yeah. Rowell rhymes with owl. Yeah, it does. Uh, this is our book podcast. Who? 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 Go owls. Where each week. One of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Uh, I read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. It was a standing Patreon recommendation. We still have a few of those to get through. We're honoring them still. Still. Yes. Uh, my favorites, and I say this completely unironically, my favorites are the people who email us, like, what, like a year and a half after we decided to stop this reward tier? Like, but we also, it, right? Yeah, you're still doing it right. I know I haven't picked my book, but here I I got one. Got one for <laughs> I you. I love it. You earned it's great. it. It's great. You made this, sh- like, the show was possible back when you made, when you didn't make a recommendation because of you. Because of you. And I, li- and I like knowing that, you know, it's not just that you lost the password to your Patreon account. You are still an active supporter <laughs> of our podcast. So Casey said... And listen, said, the people who send us money because they forgot the passwords to our Patreon accounts, we love them too. Yeah. But. Hey. <laughs> you might not even be listening anymore, but thanks. Thanks. Um, thanks, sucker. <laughs> Casey said, I would like to formally recommend Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. It's fantasy, uh, LGBTQA, YA, and it made my heart so Wait, what, do, what does YA stand for? There was a comma before YA. All right. Uh, and it made my heart so happy, she says. It is Harry Potter. What It is to Harry Potter what Fifty Shades is to Twilight. Dot, dot, dot. Only well-written, funny, witty, and with fully developed characters and a lot less boning down. So it's nothing like Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> is to Twilight. It is. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Hope that whichever one of you ends up reading this enjoys a good fun read as much as I did. I will say I listened to the audiobook mostly. I'm trying to find who read it to me okay. in mm-hmm. my ears. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about Rainbow? We've all we've covered her before. Yes. Rainbow Andrew. Rowell, yeah, who we did um back in like what was it? Like 190 20, something? Yeah. yeah. 190 uh, in- on the dot. 190. Back in 2016, we read Eleanor and Park. Yeah. 
uh, which is one of her. I, I don't. I honestly don't know what's her best known novel. It was her first one, and it like catapulted her to YA fame. So she's she's also no, a, notable a Marvel um, comics writer at this point too. So like, once you get in the mar once once the mouse has you doing Marvel work, like, what could be your best known thing be anymore? Yeah. The mouse. You're working for the mouse now. Working for the mouse. Uh, Rainbow Rowell was born in 1973. Uh, she was a columnist and copywriter at the Omaha World Herald. Yeah. For like a long time. Like yeah, it, it long was time. A, it was her career before she started doing this, and then she, with Eleanor and Park in, in 2012, became a successful YA novelist, and that's been her main deal since then. Yeah. Um. So this Carry On was published in 2015. 15 i think it's her third book it's the first of three books in the simon snow series technically her fifth book fifth book okay all right Mm -hmm. um uh yeah the first of three books in the simon snow series which is loosely sort of kind of a spinoff of her second novel which is called fangirl yeah um in that book there is a character who's really into the simon snow books even though she has said uh rowell has that the books that you are reading, you Craig, the real boy, yeah, are not like supposed, not necessarily supposed to be the same like in fiction books as this person yes. in Fangirl is reading. But yes, um, so yeah, it's the first of of three. Uh, the third one is was was uh published as the last one, but you know I say never say never. Like you might you might come back to this thing. You could. I you honestly don't know what the sequels would be. Uh, so, uh, Wayward Son is the name of the yeah, first sure. sequel, published in 2019. So, you know, you carry on, then you get your Wayward Son. And then it's Any Way the Wind Blows. Yeah. In 2021. Now, yeah. is, that a, is that a lyric to it's the... It's a Queen lyric. The Queen lyric, right. There's a lot of... There's, a, there's Queen lyrics in this book. There's a lot of lyrics and quotes and idioms. We'll talk about how the magic works in this universe. I kind of I dug it. Um. What do you, okay, what do you so learn? I was I was thinking of the Kansas carry song, on my way carry song. on my wayward son. Yes. <laughs> Which, okay, I wasn't familiar with it as a Queen. Joke. I don't know if wayward son is a Queen lyric, but carry on, um, is in carry on. Isn't that? I don't know, man. Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm, I can I can only think of the Kansas song from Guitar Hero to Carry On My Wayward Son. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's in the lyric. Yeah, Carry On, Carry On, as if nothing really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay, I just think you do Carry On and Wayward Son. It's like okay, so the third one's gonna be named like Peace When You Are Done or something, right? Like it's like <laughs> Don't You Cry No More. <laughs> Lay your weary head to rest. Like there's so many good book t- titles in the lyrics of "Carry On Wayward Son" by the band Kansas. Yeah, it is an amazing song. Let's <laughs> be clear. And I thought it was a Kansas thing, and it's not, which is fine. Fair I enough. I mean, she lives in. She was born in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, right? I mean, yeah. maybe uh-huh. Nebraska and Kansas got beef that I don't know, that I'm not <laughs> privy to. Yeah, that's funny. So she's, she's like, not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these Kansas people think that I'm one of them. But then okay. I'm gonna yank the rug out from under them at the last possible second. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, she's also she started writing comics for Marvel on a series called Runaways with artist Chris Anka. Now she's on She Hulk, and she also has published a graphic novel called Pumpkin Heads with artist Faith Aaron Hicks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I've had a lot. Just just quick shout out. I know you're repping Kansas. I'll just rep Nebraska real quick. I've had mm. a lot of info on her on NebraskaAuthors.org, uh-huh. where it's just a repository of information about authors from Nebraska. Pennsylvania doesn't have a website called PennsylvaniaAuthors.org. I got redirected <sighs> to Wikipedia when I tried to... F- Come on, Pennsylvania! Huh. I mean, do you think that... Don't, let me just like, Google domains. Oh, interesting. Domains.google.com. Pen... Sylvania authors, all one word. Let's see what we got. Well, I'm going to see what TLDs are available. Okay, great. Not. Okay, uh, none of them are. Well, okay. <laughs> Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, I could get .com. I could get .net. I got to get .org, .info. Like all, the, all the good ones are available. Huh. Huh. So we could we could be the change we want to see in the world. I like that. I once. like to breathe that into existence. Um, so when we read uh, Eleanor and Park, yeah, the th- here's the deal with Eleanor and Park is if you Google it, you're going to find a lot of stuff about how there are some like racially problematic things in it. Yeah. And we did not really address any of those no. when we talked about it um, back back in 2016, which is like 2016 well like post dates a lot of what I found discussing the racism in in Eleanor and Park. So it's just like a thing that we were not aware of that we did not encounter in whatever research we did. And we just didn't talk about it. So I wanted to spend a little time addressing it because I feel like because of that, and also maybe a little because as far as I can tell, she's not really like substantially substantively addressed it in like interviews or any follow-up. Yeah. She's talked a little bit about like some elements of it, but she's never. Yeah. Um, I, she sometimes becomes like a main character on YA book Twitter, <laughs> which is not a fate that I would like wish. No, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> I really wouldn't. And but and I, I did. Can I just preface what you're going to say, Andrew? By yeah, saying yeah, yeah, that, of course. Like, yeah. One of the things we talked about with Eleanor and Park was like it was lauded. It's this big YA yeah, success. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a you know it gets put out. It's this romantic YA like love story, and it's. Got a you know a biracial Korean American character, um, like people are excited about it as a book that is that has diversity in it, um, but of course that can come with some criticisms depending on how that is depicted. Yeah, so like to to the extent that she has addressed it, um, I think Raoul has talked about how Park is. Uh, like like one, she is she is coming at it from like a representation is important. Sure. Which I'll talk about a little bit more in a bit, which is which is, I think, well-intentioned. And then she's also talked about how there are elements of Park and of Eleanor and Park's relationship with each other that is like drawn from her own like neighborhood and and upbringing. Uh, So this is in a Publishers Weekly interview that she did back in 2013. Um, the neighborhood Eleanor and Park live in is the neighborhood I grew up in. And at that time it was white and racist. There was a kid who was half Vietnamese. And we didn't actually know what he was, but he fit in better than I did. In a way, since there was no one else around like him, we didn't have stereotypes. We had no idea about what he was supposed to be like. As a writer, I think there needs to be more diversity, which means that white authors need to write about characters of other races. And that's really scary. You have good intentions, but at the same time, you're blind. I probably made mistakes with Park, but I don't know that I don't think I'll regret writing him. 
And even in there, that quote, there are yeah. a couple of things that yeah. make me go, eh, just a little yeah. bit. Like, one, the only solution for representation being, well, like, more white people just have to write about non-white people uh. <laughs> instead of let's bring more non-white people in to write yep. characters in the first place. Like, yep. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yep. And I, I don't fully subscribe to the idea that you can, like, literally only write about whatever your narrow slice of lived experience yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. But that sentiment that she expresses there is... I, I think one of the things that people are responding to and they respond negatively to um, Eleanor and Park. And then also like there was this half Vietnamese kid and nobody knew what he was. Like it's people still perceived him as like different from them yes. though, which yeah. is kind of the, the root like, of it, the root huh. of what racism is. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, so it's, that's, it's, I think I, I liked that quote because it shows what her headspace was at the time and there are like good and bad things about what the yeah. headspace is. Yeah, I think um, there was a 2014 post that I read uh, on the blog Rich in Color, uh, written by Jessica Yang, that captured some of the concerns. Um, she says, "A while back, I reviewed Eleanor and Park. I was all ready to cheer for the wild success of a book with a Korean American hero and love interest, but when I read Eleanor and Park, I was a bit troubled by the racism vibes. Attributed this to the POV of the heroine Eleanor and her good intention yet ignorant views, and ignored my discomfort." Fast forward a few months, I picked up Fangirl, another book by the same author, and gobbled it up. Though it was a fun read, I finished the book with the same troubled feeling, this time about the novel's problematic treatment of mental health and anxiety issues. Same author, different book, and a pattern emerged, caused me, causing me to question my initial reading of Eleanor and Park. By itself, Eleanor and Park can be read as a cute Romeo and Juliet-style romance, but books don't exist in a vacuum. Historical context and prevalent stereotypes cast the book in a different and more unforgiving light. And she goes on to just talk about to, to ask the question, like, is all representation necessarily good representation? And she says, like, no, obviously not. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we don't I don't think we need to like in a in a podcast about an entirely separate book retrospectively pick apart every, you know, racist bit of what was in Eleanor and Park. Um, there are lots of uh, blog posts out there that you can find that do that. Yeah. Um but I did because we just d totally did not talk about it last time. Yes. Want to bring it up this time. And then also, you know, just bearing in mind what Yang wrote about also encountering that sort of discomfort in fangirl. I'm just like curious if it comes up during our conversation, whether there was any anything you read in this, which came out, you know, like a year after a year or two after fangirl did that also was like eh, for you a little bit. There, there's something, but I I hesitate to say it's on that level. But okay. there right. is yeah. a, there is a thing I'm eh about in this book, uh, and I and I'm, I'm glad that we took the time for this, Andrew. Thank you for finding those pieces because I generally generally enjoyed this book, mm -hmm. but I also know like this is an author that comes with baggage for people, rightly so, and I don't want to just be like, this is a good book, whatever, bye. And, yeah, because like, people... I think that was basically our yeah. read on Eleanor and Park is like, this is, this is, this was, it was mostly cute, and we just like talked about what happened, and then we were done. Um, I think so, yeah. we liked talk, I think we liked thinking about being teens in love, and then that, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, we got well, a book. Love to, love to feel feelings for the <laughs> yeah. first time. We got a book about teens feeling feelings ahead of us. So we'll talk about that and then we'll. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. First, we should take a break, though, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. Sorry. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Let's yeah. Let's take a break. Break time. Break time. 
This episode of Overdue is sponsored by BetterHelp. Andrew, how much time in a given week do you spend on yourself versus others? <sighs> hmm. Hmm. Let me think about that. I mean, I guess it depends on if eating pizza is something I'm doing for myself. <laughs> Or does that have negative value to others? Or if there's just like a third category of stuff that I do that doesn't really benefit anybody. (laughs) It can be hard to benefit what, to to balance what benefits you and what benefits other people. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get caught up uh, not eating pizza that you need because other people need pizza. You know, you're thinking about the needs of others. You're not thinking about yourself. Yeah, you come over to my house and eat all my pizza. I don't care. That's yes. fine. Giving, I'm giving. Not, I'm not going to think about that. For you the might entire be giving away too much of your pizza. You feel uh, a little stretched thin at the end. Yeah, like a mo- like a mozzarella cheese <laughs> stretched to its breaking point. So, in, at the root of this metaphor, I'm trying to tell you that therapy could give you the tools to strike a better balance in your life and how you uh, match your own needs and meet the needs of those in your life. Mama Mia, tell me more. Yeah, I think that therapy is a really good tool for this thing because it's dedicated time to like take your emotional pizza out of the fridge and assess how many slices you want to save for yourself and how many slices you want to give to other people. And you can talk to someone about it, like talk about the pizza math. Like you don't have to use mm-hmm. that weird pizza math website. You can like talk to a therapist <laughs> about it mm-hmm. um, and make a plan if you need to kind of assess, you know, and ch- make some changes. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, if you've got an emotional pizza metaphor issue that you want to talk through, uh, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and on your schedule. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. Craig. Andrew. Craig. Andrew. Craig, calm down. Whoa. I need you. You are too excited. Uh oh. I need you to keep calm. Oh boy. On for me. (laughs) That's funny. This book is set in England. (laughs) Did you know that? Wait, what was the thing I was laughing too hard when you told me that the thing I said was funny? Because the book's set in England. Oh, pip pip cheerio, bruv. Oi, gov. This book about Simon Snow, eh? I did <laughs> hey, find hey, what? the the narrator of the audiobook, and then I closed the tab. I think it was you and oh, Morgan. Wow. Um, carry on. Rape. This is real Googling live, folks. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. Um, Once it, I rose above the noise and confusion just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion, I was swearing every, ever higher, but I flew too high. See, there's just so many lyrics in the, the song <laughs> Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas that you could have used for a third book. That's all yes. I'm saying. Yes, I listened to the audiobook by Ewan Morton, and he did mm-hmm. a pretty good job. Um, so, on a stormy sea of moving emotion tossed about, I'm like a ship on the ocean. Okay, I'm going to stop. Top level. <laughs> Talking about the poetry of Kansas What is this book up to? Yeah, what's it up to? It is a contemporary British teen magic school story. An NPR review by Amal L. Motor called oh, yeah. Carry On, quote, hands down the best Harry Potter fan fiction I've ever read, and I've read some genuinely excellent <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> it is definitely playing in the Harry Potter space. It is certainly mm-hmm. being written in a world that, uh, and I mean not in the magical world, like 
Rowell's writing, knowing that people will read it who have read Harry Potter. And mm-hmm. so you get to play with all of those British school kid tropes with all the professors and the what if a cloistered world of magic that normies don't know about, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it, it What is interesting, and I think this is a little bit tied to its provenance as a part of that um, book, Fangirl, is it feels like the last book in the series. Mm-hmm. The first half... How do you of, mean? The like... first half of this book is... I mean, the whole book is set in Simon Snow's final year at the Watford School, mm-hmm. which is the British magical school. And wouldn't you know, the sun never sets on the Union Jack. The British are mostly like in <laughs> charge of magic in the world. Like, yeah. we hear about magic americans and we hear about magic in india uh-huh uh but you know the magical world is in a crisis and it's happening in england yeah um, because that's the yeah it's the the magical capital of the of the world yes um and even though all the spells are like latin or something for some reason i don't know anyway. not in this book we'll talk about it <laughs> okay. uh, i'm sorry i was just responding to the exact same <laughs> thing in harry potter world yeah. set up in the harry potter books yes okay. um so this book it's set in simon snow's final year he's like 16 or something like that and as you're learning about the school it's doing and and the characters and the world and there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, and then me and Penny fought a Camaro once, and this stuff happened. And, oh, yeah, back when I first started here, uh, Eb, the goat herd, was kind of cool, and I became her friend. And three years ago, I started dating this girl, and blah, blah, blah. so, like, you're getting think- a... Yeah, like if if you're encountering it as Harry Potter fan fiction, I do actually think that's a clever way to be like, yeah, there are like six other books in this series that you haven't read yet. It it gives it does a lot of shorthand for the character relationships because it makes it able to access the more mature versions of some of those character relationships that don't show up in a series until the end, mm-hmm. um, and it skips over the. So Simon is a boy who was orphaned, okay, raised in normie world. Now was he a boy who lived? Um, yeah, I guess he is lived. There like he... some weird bald wizard who wants this baby dead. No, a weird okay. bald wizard doesn't want the baby dead. A a wizard called the mage, a magician called the mage. His okay. real name's David. Whatever. David the Davey. mage. Davy. <laughs> Davy the mage. <laughs> Um, he's in charge of the school. It's like that that group in South Philly who's really mad about the Christopher Columbus statue, calling themselves the Gravy Seals. It's just like I couldn't think of a better burn to call you than Davy the Mage. And you pick, you've chosen this name for yourself. I don't. Nobody understand. calls him Davy. Everybody just calls him the Mage. Okay. Um, so are you calling him Davy the Mage? I know there are chapters from a person who calls him Davy. Calls him Davy the Mage. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and he found Simon when Simon was like 11 and Simon has this like untapped, uncontrollable magical power that is very, you know, this is a common trope, like in a magical world, like if you can do magic, you kind of have like a sixth sense 
for like yeah. feeling magic or whatever. Midichlorians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Simon's like magic Geiger counter readings are like off the charts. Like he's mm-hmm. just raw magic, and he's not good at spells. Like he's kind of busted at actually doing magic. Okay. Except when he's in like danger, he can quote unquote go off, and then like he goes super saiyan or whatever. Like it mm-hmm. reminded me. And I know you, I've watched like three animes. I watched a lot of anime <laughs> movies as a kid that were inappropriate for me. But uh-huh. in terms of actual series, I've not watched too many. But one of them is Naruto. And sure. this kid gives me big Naruto vibes. Big Naruto? Like, okay. He's got some sort of uncontrollable power in him. Uh-huh. And he is a hero, but he's not always, in, he can't always do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And he does have... Like a good friend who she knows. I mean, she's very Hermione, but um, she like knows what she's doing, and they work really well together. Um, but like, you get to skip over by it being the last book in this series, or that vibe anyway. You skip over Simon, this normie boy coming into the world of magic entirely. Oh, what what are these? paintings that are alive you know like you you skip over all of that first harry potter book all the the the, uh audience surrogate what do you mean there's a there's a whole tradition where we find a goblet in a maze i've never heard of this well silly harry like (laughs) this skips over all of that and just gets to the end of simon's schooling and Mm -hmm. the the like culmination of the malevolent force that is in this world. And so it's in doing that, is it, it's, it's assuming that you will be familiar enough with Harry Potter to like pick, even if you go into it, knowing nothing at all. Yeah. You will read into it that it's doing a Harry Potter thing. And as such, whatever, like knowledge of Harry Potter you've osmosed from the universe is going to be enough to like make the world kind of work. I think so. I think, I think that's true. I also think you don't need to know Harry Potter much at all to, to enjoy this book and like the characters The I will say that like the plot is fine (laughs) uh, and the world building is okay. Like I have, I have like quibbles about both um the characters I'm just are, wondering like to the extent that the world building is like sketchy mapped. or yeah like are, mm. is it is it that way because she's like oh it's just a Harry Potter thing people That's, will know there's people some know of, what I'm doing there's yeah. some of that I think it's mostly the um when this book so this book is like has a queer romance at, at the heart of it that shows up in kind of the second half of the book mm-hmm. my um, understanding is that this you just ask me to to look up information about this romance. My understanding in a fan fiction contest context is that this romance is an enemies to boyfriends thing. Yeah. That is a read of like a Harry and Malfoy ship. Sure. Sure. That now me, big Naruto and, boy over here. You saw love it Naruto mm-hmm. as a, a Naruto. I call almost called a Naruto. Naruto. A Naruto <laughs> and Sasuke ship. Now, Naruto's, now, I don't. I yeah. have no idea what you just said to me, but but, but Sasuke is like a, a mix of like what if, what if he was, 
what if Draco was also Ron Weasley? Like, what if he was your friend but also evil? <laughs> right? I mean, Ron's kind of evil in the sense that he's like a kind of evil. fail son. Yeah, well, that, that's you an know? ultimate evil that we need to vanquish. <laughs> yeah, that we still fail haven't sons. vanquished fail sons. Um, but fail so the- sons in Hogwarts should have their own house. I don't even know if... <laughs> they never get any points. I don't even know if... I think the closest house to a fail son house is probably Hufflepuff. Yeah, but probably. I think there needs to be a fifth fail son house. <laughs> so this, yeah, there's the character relationships are really fun, and the character dynamics are really compelling. And Raoul's structural choice to hop perspectives a lot. Um, allows her to do things where for instance the the character who is the draco who is the sasuke is uh baz i believe his full name is tyrannius basilton grim pitch or something he goes by <laughs> that give you a headache he goes by baz <sighs> he and <laughs> he and simon as we learn in the first you know fifth of the book before we ever see Baz, mostly from Simon and Penelope's perspective. Uh, Baz is evil. He might be a vampire. He and Simon are mortal enemies. He's tried to kill Simon more than once. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, and Baz hasn't showed up to school this year. We don't know why. Mm -hmm. And two months in, he finally shows up and we get some POV from Baz and it like it is mo- it feels uh mo- like a monumental shift in the book to finally have access to this character sure. that was being point like painted as an enemy and yada yada mm-hmm. yada mm-hmm. and it doesn't take too long i'm trying to remember how much time we spend with baz before he like is like listen reader i loved him and like you learn that Whoa. baz kind of hates simon because he has an incredible crush on him always has and like baz doesn't like himself also because he is part vampire and he thinks he's <laughs> he thinks he's a bad person and his you know he's responsible for his mom's death even though he's not and uh so he fights with simon all the time because he wants to jump him okay like, i was just i was just thinking about what if there was harry potter but gray you know, like the Fifty Shades from Christian's yeah. perspective. What if that from Malfoy's perspective? And then I, then I realized that indeed, actually, Ao3 and fan fiction both are things, and that I'm sure <laughs> this entire series has already been written from that yeah. perspective by somebody who is not constantly going on, hammering on about how women are being erased by There's the existence of trans people. A lot so. of writers out there who don't believe that. So you should yeah. go read them. Yeah, wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, like the, what I was talking about the perspective shift thing, cause I do think that is one of the most successful parts of the book with the exception that there are some times where you're not really supposed to know anything about the characters who are talking they're kind of mysterious and I had trouble maintaining any of the information that those characters were sort of giving me. Cause it's like a disembodied voice of a woman named Lucy a few times before you even find out who Lucy is. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, 
building suspense like oh i guess i'm gonna find out who lucy is at some point <laughs> and the problem is is like because i don't actually spend any time with her none of that information stays in my brain and so like as i look back at what this book was setting up when i have trouble remembering how raul was doing it because it was with some characters that i hadn't connected with yet sure um but yeah, it's just got this interesting vibe for the first half of it where like there is this thing in the background called the insidious humdrum who attacked, quote unquote, Simon at mm-hmm. the end of the previous school year. Mm-hmm. And only at the Simon- end of the last book that you haven't yes. you weren't able to read. Mm-hmm. And and the humdrum's been around for as long as Simon's been around, probably. Mm-hmm. And the humdrum creates pockets of no magic. So the ma- magic in this book, it's not quite the force, but it is like magic comes from the universe around you. There, are, mm-hmm. there are places, there are creatures that don't have it. There are creatures that have it. There are places now because of the humdrum that, like, if you go there, you don't have any magic anymore. Like in that mm-hmm. spot. So you want to leave there because it's almost like it's sucking the magic out of you. Mm-hmm. And these spots are getting worse. They're getting bigger. They're popping up all over the place. Nobody knows what is causing them. Only Simon and Penny have seen the humdrum who appeared to them as the, the figure of Simon when he was 11 years old. Okay. As a little boy mm-hmm. with a red ball. <laughs> And then Simon did some stuff that, like, wasn't a spell and, like, grew wings and, like, flew away with Penny to save them. Yeah, because so, like, Simon- that's, that's, that's what he do is he's, he is super powerful in a way that doesn't need to be explained by the rest of the magic system yes. when he is under pressure. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> Just kind of curious what your experience of encountering your son's name in fiction is. Because Messed I me know up. whenever I encounter henry it's like oh henry and then sometimes the character of henry is like a big jerk (laughs) i'm like oh no henry why would you do this it helped that simon in this book is a good kid he's Mm -hmm. a good boy Mm -hmm. who wants to help the world and he's clever and brave and honest okay just like real simon as far as i know (laughs) um my my seven month old has not lied to me yet that you know of. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. He could uh-huh. be lying to me right He's lying down right now. Um, he, could be, he could be lying to you about being asleep. That's true. But it could was... be awake was, doing drugs. In particular, it was, whoa, extra strange listening to it on audiobook, because then it was like hearing it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was just weird. I think I got used to it once the character Simon Snow like became a person in my brain. But for the first like hour or so of listening to it i was like why are they talking about my kids stop yeah. it he's not it gets, in the book. it gets it gets weirder when so like henry loves thomas and friends right now oh and there's sure a green train on that show named henry oh <laughs> and he does understand he henry is a separate entity from yeah. henry the green engine but then sometimes you're watching an episode about Henry the Green Engine, which doesn't happen a lot. Henry is kind of underutilized, mm. frankly, in the Thomas and universe. <laughs> right, and a then you turn to him and like, and you're like, "Hey, Henry really likes the forest, huh?" And he's like, "No, I don't." Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Can't have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah, it was this weird. 
I'm sure there will be weirder. Signings. Oh, it'll get it gets it gets yeah, it hits you in weird ways. There was a there was a point where when you get a little bit more backstory on the character and somebody asks, you know, somebody defends why he was named Simon, they say that it's a wise name and that is one of the things that we thought about when we were naming Simon. Mm. So, mm, wise. Why? See, like Simon <laughs> Belmont. Yes. <laughs> what is a man? From Castle from Castlevania. <laughs> Miserable little pile of secrets. <laughs> uh, characters That's I haven't talked. What a baby talked- is? It's like literally <laughs> what a baby is. It's a miserable little pile of secrets. You don't know what's going on in there. Characters I haven't really talked I'm about. I'm throw my wine. I'm so mad. <laughs> I've alluded to Penelope Penny, who is the Hermione figure. Mm-hmm. She's very talented, good at spells, a little detective. Um, she's best friends with Simon, and she's cool. She gets to, you know, she has her moments. She gets to do her thing. Um, I don't, I feel like we, because we get some good POV chapters with her, um, we get some interesting perspectives. She and her family uh, are from India. Um, I think there's a whole thing where it's like she's actually, she, she's like, from, I'm from India, but I'm British because we've been here for like you know decades or whatever. Because of colonialism. Because yeah. of colonialism, yeah. Um, and her dad's like a magic scientist studying the the dead zones or whatever the humdrum dead zones or whatever. Um, and then there's Agatha, who is Simon's girlfriend, who I kind of like. It's hard to describe why they're dating in the first place Um, other than there's some stuff early in the book where people talk about uh magicians are like because they are magical creatures they are interested in magic and simon has so much magic that sometimes it's like you can't help but feel attracted or interested or just want to be near him or something you know something like that that's the only thing I explain why Harry Potter has so many friends sometimes. You know, he's got problems. Um, he's a stinker. <laughs> she <laughs> kind of like recognizes that she's almost put herself in this like hero's girlfriend role and isn't sure that she likes it. And she all, the, the thing I like about Agatha, even though she's not a big character in the plot of the book, is that she is the only character we meet who's like, I don't know, man. What if I lived a life without magic? What if I just left? Mm. Yeah. What if, do I have to go to like magic school? Could I go be a veterinarian? That's like, interesting. I don't, I don't know if the Harry Potter, because there are different, there are people born to magic families who don't have magic, who are like universally derided and yeah. shamed. Yeah. I don't know that. And, and there are some wizards who are like, interested in like a doofy kind of mr dink kind of way in how humans (laughs) get by without magic yes but i don't know that there are any wizards i can think of off the top of my head who just decide that they want to go be like architects or whatever yeah it's it's a neat vibe so like and it builds over the course of the book where it ultimately becomes like a she recognizes the well we have this magical power shouldn't we do something with it but her lived experience is that like most people aren't doing anything like to help the world with it right mm-hmm. maybe and all it leads to is a bunch of weird pressures on me and on people that i've known and like what if we just bounced um so agatha's kind of an interesting i i like I like that she's in here 
which is just kind of neat. Sure. Um, and then I, I alluded to um, the, this woman, Eb the Goat Herd. She is one of the most powerful mages that has ever been, but she's not like a conventional mage. And she just kind of, she kind of sets the stage for what Agatha winds up doing. Where she's like, I don't want, I just want to live my life. She had a brother who disappeared under mm-hmm. suspicious circumstances. So they kind of had to keep her on campus and let her mm-hmm. be the Goat Herd. Mm-hmm. But she's not trying to change or save the world. She's just like, I don't know. I like the goats. I use my magic to talk to the goats. Seems pretty cool. <laughs> um, she put factors in towards the end. So, like, the plot of this book is the mage is trying to stop the humdrum. Mm-hmm. There are these, what are called the old families. So, like, Baz's family, Agatha's family, Penelope's family, sort of, who... Uh, don't really like the mage because he's led to a lot of reforms at the school to uh-huh. attempt to democratize the school when he and that's was bad. Well, <laughs> it is for the old families. Yes, right. That's that's bad for the entrenched power yes. structure. And when he was younger, Davy believed that there needed to be like a full revolution, and he thought was like kind of like. I'm going to write letters to magical scholars and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then he becomes obsessed with this instead when that doesn't work. um, He becomes obsessed with this prophecy of creating the greatest mage, sort of a bring balance to the force character or Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. who is going, there's going to be some threat to, to the world of magic and we have to have this greatest mage to stop it. And he's he become like most prophecies, it's not a thing that just is gonna happen. It's more like a set of instructions that you have sure. to bring about. Okay. Um and Davy thinks again, everybody else calls him the mage. Davy thinks Davy the Mage that Simon might be the greatest mage. He certainly has the most magic of any person that anyone's ever met. Mm-hmm. But of course he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. A problem. Yes. And the old families are kind of rebelling against the mage. They don't. He's starting to be more of an autocrat. He's like sending people to raid their homes, looking for magic things. To like, he's gathering them up so that maybe he can stockpile magic power for himself to f- defeat the humdrum, uh-huh. causing a lot of politics. This is where the that's, book is at its okay. fuzziest. Where it's like, what are the because po- that's that's <sighs> the thing from the NPR review. Yeah, that I can I can just read you yeah, please. The, the quote, and I wonder if this like gets into some of the concerns with Ro- the Rowell's work that we talked about before. Maybe yeah. Um, but it was it was hard for me to tell from this quote what the review was talking about. Okay, so quote. Uh, but the place where real world and mage world politics meet is a muddle of tone deaf implications that I can't itemize without getting into spoilers. Suffice it to say that where Harry Potter's real world analogies were transparently about fascism, racism, and class, carry on mashes a number of political concerns together without much of a care for how they fit or what they ultimately say. Partly this is understandable because the real work of the book is in the characters growing up and out of the world in which they spent their childhood. Uh, but given how dexterous the rest of that source commentary is, the politics stick out as a misstep. And so this is 2015. It's always hard for me to know, like absent any context, context, what a book would be doing to get a reviewer to be like, ugh, politics. <laughs> 
it's not that it it's not I don't think what you're saying is that oh no it has politics. Uh-huh. I it's think, just that it doesn't know what it's doing about I think it's mostly politics. it's that okay. it doesn't quite know because the the mage is this reformer who has brought um you know uh okay Baz's mom, when Baz is a little baby in the in the school nursery, Baz's mom used to be the headmistress of Watford. Okay. There was an attack on Watford by vampires, mm-hmm. and she lost her life, and Baz became a vampire. Mm-hmm. So he's doubly sad about being a vampire for that reason. The mage takes over the school, and he, he puts in these reforms that like make it easier for kind of lower-level magic people to come to Watford. Kind of opening the gates a little bit, right? Okay. There's a Minotaur teacher who apparently wasn't allowed to teach before the mage was in charge. He had to go like work in the fields even though because he, he's a Minotaur. Because he's a Minotaur. Um, so it's like, oh, it's... Too, we're, many, too many likes. We're democratizing the world of magic. No, Minotaur, I'm thinking of Centaur. Min- yes. Minotaur is like the... The mage, bull man. Like the bull man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, head. Weird head. Weird That's a problem with minotaurs. Always stuck in a labyrinth. Um, and so, like, are they stuck there? Or do they prefer to? I think that he might there. want you in there so he can mess you up. Um, the mage, at first, is like, oh, where it's this like magic for everyone seems to be his his vibe, right? Kind of you know that type of revolution. But then he, the book does not really dive into how a frustrated version with uh, a fr- a person with that impulse who then gets frustrated could then just turn into like an autocrat who doesn't explain himself very well uh-huh. and kind of manufactures conflict to get his way uh-huh. whether or not he intends to mm-hmm. and what it means when he is he and Simon are fighting at the end of the book and at one point the mage who's like knows he's losing and can't get the magical power that he needs to defeat the humdrum just like screams in Simon's face by reforms. And you're like, <laughs> what are we? <laughs> and like you, it's sad because, Oh no, my reforms. <laughs> you, it's sad because Simon is like, he cares about the mage because the mage found him and took care of him and was a mentor to him and a father, a surrogate father figure to him. Um, and there, it's going to break bad for the mage at the end of the book. So that part lands, but like the, yeah, what is it that the mage <laughs> did wrong? And like, is it was it bad for him to let more people into school, or was it good? Mm-hmm. It does because the book doesn't have, um, it doesn't have a Voldemort, uh-huh. and it doesn't have a people who follow a Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I know he shouldn't be named, but whatever that lady can shut up. No, um, he's dead. He's dead. He so the, the, the point, the whole point of the book is like people who won't name him. Yeah, yeah. Won't oh, I guess start facing up to yeah. Because the mage winds up being. It's also not. It is not a big reveal in my opinion, that the mage winds up being the cause of a bunch of bad stuff in this book. Yeah. It is a reveal to the characters, but none of that feels particularly surprising or hidden, and I can't quite tell if it's supposed to be, and I, that might also be part of what makes the the ending kind of soggy in that way. 
mm-hmm. where yeah I don't know like I don't know what she's up to with the like some of the change the world behavior of some of the characters and uh, maybe she doesn't know either she really sure. was like she found a cool different version of a fantasy teen protagonist boy I really think Baz is an awesome character. He is like, he's really charming. He's really funny. He hates everybody. Like he's fun to be around. <laughs> um, he's a breath Same. of fresh air from the other characters. Same. Um, yeah, he's sort of like you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and are you highly flammable because you are a vampire? In a sort of metaphorical way. Yes. Well, is it complicated by the fact that your family is well known for its fire magic also? It's kind of a problem. Oops. In some circles, <laughs> sure. Um, Everything so the, is about context. Yeah. So, so I'm struggling to, to even make the point of what was kind of fuzzy for me because it was so fuzzy. So I will, mm-hmm. I will move on from that. Okay. And, um, just to say that like, I do think the Simon and Baz stuff in this book mostly worked for me. Um, Baz has been carrying this torch for Simon their entire relationship I do like we'll talk about magic before we close out but there's this thing on the grounds of the school that you can't hurt your roommate like you're not allowed um, and this is this exists as opposed to other real world schools where you're encouraged to hurt your roommate <laughs> yes where they only pair you up with a roommate so that the stronger of the two of you emerges to <laughs> make the college a more resilient place. So they can't hurt each other in their room, but they do still grow to hate each other for some reason, which is mostly because Baz does is, you know, he's got his own problems and he doesn't know how to deal with Simon. Um, And there's like, the book is mostly when things are happening in the present tense, it is like a series of incidents involving Baz's mom coming back from the dead and giving a message to Simon while Baz is away Simon and Baz then sort of teaming up to solve the mystery of her death. Someone was behind the vampires getting in. Um, And then when they go to this vampire den in London uh, over Christmas break to find one of the vampires who's involved, Baz just kind of like loses it and just wants to like torch the entire place and then torch himself and the only thing that Simon can think to do in that moment is is to kiss him, just to grab him and kiss him to make him stop. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's all you got. And it and it arsenal. and it works. Uh-huh. And then they are then they are boyfriends, and it it's nice. like it's not a complete like just light switch type thing, but it. It's almost that. It's like a light uh-huh. switch. Like it is their new reality that they both recognize that they are into one another. That it has been part of their weird thing the whole time, even though Simon thought he was straight. So he's working through that, mm-hmm. and uh, and yet they acknowledge that like this is gonna be an interesting ride for us if we're going to say we're in a relationship now. Like sure. that's not what. <laughs> Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily even change how they talk to one another for a decent part of the book. They're still snippy. They're still kind of combative. Um, 
and yet they clearly care about each other and and realize how much they care about each other. So that that all worked for me. Okay. In a way that it made the other stuff just kind of like, well, get not all the hits land, you know? Like it so it kept you, it from yeah. elevating the book into like having something really interesting to say, but I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, so you said that it didn't seem like it was setting up a sequel. I have not read anything that Raoul has said about why it's a three book series. I do wonder I do wonder if you came away from the book with any sense of what other books would be about or if you're just like the next book is just about like Simon going and getting an internship. At <laughs> well, his so- dad's like motorcycle factory simon's whole deal and if people want to read the book maybe i'm gonna talk in in light spoilers about what happens um simon simon's whole deal is that he is related to the humdrum it is Uh him sort of and so when he has all this magical power that he's using it's because he's just sucking it out of the world Mm And he's gathering it up, and he leaves dead spots when he does big magic stuff. Or Uh he doesn't necessarily leave them right where he is, but they happen somewhere. But he also has the power to put magic into other people, which he kind of uses as like a buff to Baz a few times, Mm -hmm. where he just like amps up his magic, and it's pretty cool. Uh, At the end of the book, he gives away all his magic to stop the humdrum. It's this big Mm -hmm. sacrifice. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Simon Snow does next. He does like identify the fact that he no one's ever done that. Like no, they're not. They're, it's not well known that magicians might do this. Like their magic goes away, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where the the characters are interesting and could go on another adventure. It is interesting to read a book that. This humdrum thing, there's been other fights, they've been other bad guys that they've vanquished, and then now we're finally concluding the story of the Simon Snow school books. Mm-hmm. And like, what are the other ones? I don't know. I don't know where else they would it doesn't feel set up for other ones sure. at all. Okay. Um I do want to talk briefly about the magic system. Um, because I just think it's neat. It is a good it is just enough, I think, Andrew. Okay. It doesn't feel like she was like, I got to figure out a, f- I got to write a, f- a player character guide, you know. <laughs> I don't need to write a player's handbook, but all spells are done by using uh, well known phrases. Okay. So you like, basically these you, pretzels are making me thirsty. Yes, like you, <laughs> you could maybe like add salt to pretzels by putting your magic into saying the words "these pretzels are making me thirsty," and okay. the words gain power uh, by more people using them and them being well known. So does that mean that every time a new sitcom comes out with an awesome, cool new catchphrase that people love? A magician could use it for the magician could use it for a spell. Yeah. Okay. So, like an example. So, so the office, the 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 American show, The Office, comes out in the mid two thousands, and 
once upon a time, the words "that's what she said" had be had been a powerful spell, correct? But then it lost its power. Yes. But then this show comes rip roaring back, and suddenly the spell's powerful again. Yeah. Okay. But I like so every uh, eighth years in school or final years in school, you are tasked with creating a new spell. Uh huh. And I like the idea that as a graduation assignment, all these teens need to come up with like new hot slang uh-huh. that can cause a spell mm-hmm. they're just um, scrolling through twitter to be like man what are people what are people saying can i <laughs> is that that boy still a thing like <laughs> what what kind of, what kind make be a spell an example of simon being bad at magic is that he, he the the all the entire scripts to the film b movies for some reason oh a really God. powerful spell but it's just it's really hard to use because you gotta remember the whole thing uh an example of Simon being bad at magic is he tried to use uh, hair of the dog once, um, mm. you know, for its actual purpose of maybe like curing a hangover or something. Yeah. And he just him? he gave someone dog hair like his, uh, his magic okay. is just kind of busted. All right. Um, but then there's there. There are times when people use lyrics like some of the lyrics from the Queen song Bohemian Rhapsody or from the much mm-hmm. far superior Kansas song carry on wayward <laughs> uh and then there are things like because Simon has so much magic he can sometimes say words that don't even really like the compel spell for making someone speak honestly is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth okay but at one point, he just says the words, answer me, and someone almost starts to feel compelled because he has so much magic to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the other world-building-y thing that I liked that sets off the quest is that every 20 years, Andrew, the veil between the living and the dead weakens. Okay. And so people who have unfinished business and haven't fully crossed over can, you know, leave a message for, can do a visitation. So, like, weekends for a bit, but then goes back to being strong again. Yes. It doesn't, like, progressively weaken. No, 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 no. So it's every 20 years, you might get a visit from a relative that's like, hey, you got to solve my murder. Yeah. The, the, I I had a funny. I see, I seen that, I seen that Pixar movie. Uh, the book does address the fact that one guy did a murder every 20 years to prevent s- the ghosts from telling them that he did it. Like, every 20 years, someone would show up and be like, you got it. There's this guy. You got to get him. And then he would kill the new person. Huh. I did okay, think that's that was, smart. No, that's that was smart. pretty funny. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I had fun with this book. I I did not need it to be uh i did not feel like i every page had to be like oh that's an interesting riff on the harry potter dynamics like that i just got invested in the characters the the weird thing where it was telling me about stuff that happened a lot did feel like there were parts of the book that could have had more present tense events going on okay um so i was a little frustrated with that in the beginning and yeah, the politics of like, was it good to democratize magic, but also the old families are better than the mage who clearly lost his way. <laughs> and Simon doesn't care about any of this. He just wants to help his boyfriend. Like that just kind of is a, is a bit of a mush okay. um, that people should should just know it's there. It's a mush. Sun, 
Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it sounds like she was interested in playing with these dynamics. Maybe not as maybe, maybe it was, she had not like fully thought through all of the like implications of how to make it all hang together as like an interesting and coherent. Yeah. Cause there's also like, you can look at the humdrum as some like metaphors for like, you know, big impending, we need to unite as a, as a people and like, the you know nuclear war or climate change or like the the aliens in arrival are a better version of the like what if you all put down your petty differences to like fix a thing uh-huh um and this book doesn't even quite get to that question um so yeah maybe she, maybe she engages in that in the in the later books because this is an interesting game of telephone where it was like uh, it was fan fiction inside of a book about fan fiction <laughs> And now it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she built the parts she needed to build to get the cool relationships. Um, yeah. That's okay. this book. Neat. You can carry you on know. with the rest of your day now. And with listening to the Carry On Road song, which I'm going to yeah. go do after we it's a pretty good recording. Song. So, can we? I did look up on Spotify. According to Spotify, uh, Carry On Wayward Son has uh, 530 million plays. Okay. Which sounds like a lot, right? Like, yeah, it seems like a lot. Yeah, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has two point one billion. Oh no! <laughs> so Bohemian Rhapsody, almost exactly four times as popular as the song "Carry On Wayward Son" by Okay Bang Bang Kansas. But that doesn't. I don't feel. I feel like that's no reason for Rainbow R- Rowell to erase "Carry On Wayward Son" by the band Kansas. All the um, all the Kansas listens are on title. I think. Mm. Okay, send us an email about to overduepod at gmail.com about your plan to, when your friend puts on Bohemian Rhapsody, stop them and listen to Carry On My Wayward Son four times. <laughs> Tell us about your plan. Send us an email. That's the only way it's ever going to catch up. <laughs> we have to get there, folks. <laughs> Um, you can also tell us about your favorite time that you heard carry on my wayward son. Um, tell us about it on social media at overdue pod. Thanks to Juliana, Lucas, Teopatra, Lori, Jamie, Alex, Joyce, Camilla, bookish girl, may Clealis, many more, a lot of folks who have enjoyed, uh, some of our episodes recently about slack and about children's books. Um, now you can tell us about, uh, your favorite Kansas songs. Thanks to Nick Larandres, who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Read along with us. It's fun. Uh, we have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash overduepod. Uh, support the show directly. Uh, get access to our Discord. Get access to our Discord's newly minted uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom thread <laughs> that we're starting for people yeah. who are doing going to be who are doing that. Yeah, it's future tense when we talk about this on Thursday night, but it'll be present tense soon enough. Yep, soon enough. Um, and we also have you can get bonus episodes early, sit in on bonus streams. We have some other cool like, little rewards and things yeah um patreon.com slash overdue pod is the way to look at all that next week i'm going to be reading the orchid thief by susan oleon yeah that's it a non-fiction book which i don't think i knew when i picked it up but it's been it, it's about people from florida so it's as weird as fiction is <laughs> i'm excited to hear about it yeah it'll it's i think it's it's a good fit uh, anyway, until we hit you next week with them orchid thieves, we 
want you all to try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.